Hey heroes, before we get started, I wanted to note that this episode was recorded live at Gen Con. And unfortunately, my microphone doesn't seem to have been working properly, so my audio is below our usual standard. I'm sorry about that, but thanks to Joe and Casey, we managed to make it listenable. Still, I think the show was great, and I know you're going to enjoy what we did. So hang in there and enjoy the show. Hello, heroes. Uh, welcome to the 2019 Campaign Live show starring Campaign Skyjacks. Uh, I am joined by Liz Anderson. Hello. And Johnny O'Mara, who are diligently doing the homework that I handed them right now. James uh, has made me learn another game. Of course, uh, Skyjack's uh, audio quality and production has really become a huge part of our show. And the biggest, one of the biggest things is the music that we've incorporated into our show. Uh, we wanted to have our musician Artie Parrott here. Uh, Second City, who also stole Tyler from us, uh, kept him in their dark embrace. Uh, but Arnie suggested a friend of his, Dan the Bard. Now, some of you might be familiar with Dan's work. If you've gone to a Renaissance festival or you've just been walking around this convention, Dan has been a staple of both of those environments for a long time. And I frankly cannot believe he accepted this. So I'm pretty thrilled. Uh, so we're gonna let Dan introduce the show for us. Dan, take us away. city that has been racked by weather and storms from the sea. For the past few weeks, the citizens have locked themselves inside their homes, fearing the footsteps of a mariner at their own doors. There are crowds of people swarming the streets around a ship that has descended from the sky. Something that looks like it's out of a war itself. The sides of the ship are racked with musket shot and cannon fire. The men and women aboard its deck and those not tied down to a binary gender look as though they have seen a dozen wars. They are tired, their hands are calloused, but this crowd of people in front of them is eager to join their ranks because this is the Uhuru, a skyship. And to many desperate citizens of Spear, this ship represents a new life, a potential away from the hard life of the ground, away from the dangers of the sea, in the sky. And even though they would be corsairs, even though they would be hunted by the Red Feather Syndicate, perhaps even the church or what privateers rule the sky, 
it offers them control over their own lives, and that chance is worth almost anything. And what makes this day significant is that two of the hopeful people to join that ship are none other than the people we know as Travis Matigo and Gable. We're playing a variant on Reflections today. That is Jim McClure's game, normally about dueling samurai. Uh, no one will be dueling in this one. Uh, but these characters are both immortal. Uh, they have 200 years of history together that the actors and me, frankly, don't know anything about. Uh, so we're going to be filling in a lot of world details today. Uh, so many of them I don't know. And to join us, Dan is actually going to be jumping in on this and providing an X factor from the perspective of somebody who knows nothing about this setting. Uh, <laughs> oh, same. <laughs> Uh, so the way this game works is it's played out in scenes. There are going to be five scenes that explore the past of these characters together. Uh, in each scene, uh, Johnny and Liz, you'll see that you have narrative goals for that scene. That is uh, the highest goal that you can attain, uh, that you think you can attain, I want you to circle it, uh, and we'll do this right before each scene. Um, the, the low goals are things that I believe will be very narratively easy for your characters to accomplish. They're not going to challenge you to be vulnerable or, or work at all. Uh, and the higher goals will require you to expose a lot of yourselves, um, which, you know, is why I incentivize them. Uh, so... At the end of this exercise, uh, we're going to reach a point where you will have circled a certain number of things. Uh, we will evaluate whether or not you actually hit those goals. And that will turn into a character resource that is going to become vitally important later on in this campaign. Uh, and just to be clear, one of us can win, correct? <laughs> Unfortunately, unlike Reflections, nobody's going to win this one. Uh, because we figured the odds would really be stacked against you. Because you wouldn't learn the rules of the game. Does that make sense? As if Liz knows the rules. <laughs> she can't read the dice, but she knows the rules. No. Patently false. Uh, so are we just supposed to be circling the things that us as players want to accomplish? Exactly, exactly. So it's just like, oh, yeah, I think I can do that, or mm, I can't even see how I would begin to justify doing that, so I'm not... Like, we, how good we can act it? Yeah, how good you can act it, or, like, if we, some of it might require you to, like, manipulate Johnny into a specific circumstance, and it's whether or not you think that's actually possible. Um, <laughs> so, uh, to begin reflections, each character has a statement about themselves that I will have our players read. Let's, Liz, start with Gable. Oh, it was a moment of necessity. We locked eyes, and I knew it was for a reason. I met you when you were young. My name is Uriel, and I can no longer run alone. Where is Gable aboard the Uhuru when they first see Travis Matigo? Didn't we get all, all get on at the same time? Uh, yes, you, you could have gotten all on at the same time, but there are a lot of people in the shuffle. I think uh, Travis obviously has a better shot at seeing you first because 
Because of so my keen eye. Oh, yeah, because Travis is really observant and cares about other people. <laughs> uh, I think Gable waited until everyone got onto the ship. Ooh, sort of walked up slowly. Where was Travis? Travis was, I assume that he cheated somehow his way into the front of the line. Hmm? Hmm? <laughs> You're not in this part of the scene, though. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, he, he cheated his way to the front of the line. Across the sea of people, you, you see those telltale white blocks that are very evocative of 90s boy bands. What feeling do you get? What strikes you? Trepidation? I, I mean, if I knowing Travis, absolutely good. <laughs> Maybe you even clutch your watch. <laughs> Let's move over to Travis. Hmm. Travis, could you read your statement for us? Mm-hmm. It was a moment of desperation. We locked eyes as I snuck aboard the ship. <laughs> I met you when you killed my parents. My name is William, and I am an opportunist, and I can no longer run alone. So, William not only cheated their way to the front of the line, but actually snuck aboard the ship. Well, certainly, once you're on a ship, who's to say who's where or why? (laughs) The captain. Uh... (laughs) Now, Now, when you say snuck aboard, did you, like, climb the side of the ship? I am not a climber. (laughs) I just, if you walk with a purpose, you can get almost anywhere you need to be. For instance, a stage in a convention center. (laughs) So you just sort of swift walked with a clipboard onto the Uhuru. Hello, I'm Johnny O'Mara. I would like to be your friend. (laughs) How famous can you make me? The answer is, eh. <laughs> <laughs> This will do. Now, Dan, I have a question for you. I, I described this as kind of an embattled city and town. Um, what is the Skyship port like here? Is it robust? Is it small? Is it cobbled together? It's very robust. This is an incredibly, almost inappropriately gaudy port. Too many colors. Somebody on the creative team of the city council is out of control and needs to be reined in. I think it's the same team that did the Cheesecake Factory. Yeah. (laughs) There's kind of an Egyptian theme for some reason. Yeah. Uh, Egyptian and cheese, which is very (laughs) unusual. It usually melts, but they they use the pyramids to cool it off, but the pyramids melted too, and they just keep rebuilding it. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't grain storage or tombs. It was cheese cooling. That's why they made the pyramids. Um, So uh, because this town has been, like, racked by storms and floods and water, I think some of, like, these gaudy, cheery decorations have, like, faded in a way that... uh, you, you know, it it looks worse when something that was always kind of nice is a little bad. Worse than, you know, something that has been devastated that was never really nice. Like, you know, any improv show. <laughs> if that were to go bad, you'd barely notice. Uh, <laughs> but if it were like a live show, a live version of a podcast that normally Casey Tony Gina's editor edits, uh, you might notice how bad it is. <laughs> and there's a lot of pressure. James, involved. are you okay? Okay, we're. I think we're good. <laughs> so, Travis, you are aboard the ship. 
and you see Cable just as you've finished sneaking on. What do you feel? <laughs> and this song is playing, that's diegetic. <laughs> We'll wait. <laughs> um, um, fear and resentment. Fear and resentment. So that hits your chest as we flash back. 210 years ago, before the stars fell. Johnny, what kind of city did Travis grow up in? Um, uh, the, the sort of sphere equivalent of a metropolis. Okay. Uh, you know, like a, a glittering metropolis. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, is it like seaside or is it, you know, internal? Is it, is it a Chicago metropolis or is it a New York metropolis? Uh, uh, forget that. Mm -hmm. A Chicago metropolis. What's their regional food that they're known for? Um, <laughs> uh, hot dogs and pizza. Oh, good, good. Very original. I like this. Uh, was that a real question? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Dan, we've got a metropolis. Uh, in your mind, what is the... One thing they would never put on a hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what is, like, an impressive, distinct, a distinct feature of this place? It can be either natural or man-made. Uh, well, let's go with both. Let's say there was a natural edifice of some kind that people took turns decorating every generation or two. So uh, imagine like a big rocky grotto that has been changed over and over, sometimes for the better and sometimes for worse. Ooh. Liz, what's the spookiest decoration that people have chosen? Uh, over time for this like the one that you know people look into it and that that's the thing that stands out the most skeleton yeah <laughs> so there is this rocky edifice that had kind of a natural skull shape that over generations uh the people have carved and smoothed down into a massive skull that overlooks the city now it is something that is decorated uh if you can imagine uh traditions of, of painting skulls like 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 sugar skulls uh perhaps in a distinct pattern that is not culturally appropriative uh you see this skull has been decorated um and i think there's probably even some cool lighting displays on it uh at night, it looks beautiful. And night is the time that we find it for the first time. Because the city right now is in peril. Uh, and it's in peril, you can tell, because it is glowing with the heat of fire. Smoke is spiraling up over the top of this metropolis. Many buildings are set ablaze. There are people running and screaming for their lives. No, this is not the star's fall. This is before, when dark things would descend from the sky and wreak havoc on the lands of the earth. Travis, what was your home like? Or I suppose I should say William. Mm. Where did William grow up? What did it look like up until he was forced out at a young age? Uh, it, was a, it was a penthouse. Really? Mm -hmm. Were you wealthy? Yes. Please, please walk us through this penthouse. Um, yeah, so it is uh, at the top of the tallest building in this metropolis. Uh, and you have a, a wonderful view of the spooky skull. 
Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it, it's just lots of very uh, old furniture that looks like it was probably passed down, but very well kept uh, from generation to generation. A very old money house. I like this. And we see this old world, old money house uh, as wind is sweeping through it, uh, disrupting the natural order of this place. Uh, It spirals around, uh, moving uh, candelabras, knocking them down, uh, different bits of paper and perhaps quills are swirling through the air. Dan, we come to a portrait uh, of a severe looking man. Could you describe him? A severe looking man. Yeah. He has a long coat. He has very sharp, high cheekbones. He has a very long sort of white goatee, and his eyes are sunken way too far to actually be useful. (laughs) (laughs) Johnny, there's a woman in the portrait with him. Uh, She is not your mother. She is the woman that he married after your mother passed. What does she look like? Uh, Long, very straight, dark hair, parted just right in the middle, sallow, waxy skin, but very very beautiful, a very, um, just sort of a a beautiful, spooky elegance. And not in this portrait, but in a smaller one adjacent to it, is a portrait of young William. What does he look like? In a portrait. He's a dream. <laughs> um, uh, oh, just, just a vision of the upper crust. Um, perfectly, perfectly coiffed hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, a meticulously, um, uh, what's the word for someone who, uh, tailored jacket. Um, uh, the shorter, shorter uh, cropped hair. Mm-hmm. Maybe... Um, sort of a, a regular school regulation haircut yeah uh, and definitely like school regulation clothes a uniform if you will that's probably what they would say mm. instead of school regulation clothes which is fuck <laughs> why <laughs> but we don't have time to dig into that uh, <laughs> at this point now that this scene is set uh, Johnny would you please read the title of this scene for you The time I suffered as I was saved. And Gable? I saved you and damned you. So, uh, I want to open on young William. Something terrible has happened to you, and we will not investigate the details at all. It's the sort of thing that that should not happen to to any child, least of all at the hands of their parents. where are you immediately after that, away from them? Um, I think in the the like town courtyard, like the you know the town square, mm-hmm. uh, sort of aimlessly strolling, but looking like I have a purpose. You know that sort of I don't know where to go, so I just need to to move. Right. And. Gable, I want to know, when he first sees Uriel, what do they look like? I don't think he can see Uriel. Interesting. At least right, not right now, because For this sure. is not the thing yet, correct? 
No, this is it. This is it. This is it. We're 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 in the scene now. Baby. Oh, there she is. <laughs> you. No. Uh, at first, there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, we're, we're just out on the street. I think that that's that's where that that's where we've set it. Um, I, I think you have been wandering out around aimlessly, William, uh, but you do hear a shout of familiar voices behind you. Um, you turn around and see that uh, the, the shouting that you had heard earlier, you had assumed it had something to do with a sporting event that was going on, but the screams have grown much more severe and there are shouts of fire. Uh, you can see that in a group looking extremely menacing, uh, even more menacing than earlier this evening uh, when you were struck, you see your parents and their servant looking for you with anger and desperation written across their faces. What is the first evidence that Uriel is here? Uriel has been dragging the broadsword, the greatsword, broadsword? Greatsword. Thank you. Uh, Behind them and creating sparks as they make their way towards the scene. So I think though you cannot see a physical being causing it, you see a trail of sparks moving down the alley. They kick up thick, glowing embers that strike at the buildings next to them. And the construction here, although it is fine, is still wood. And it is a construction that has had many corners cut on it over the dozens and dozens of years. And even considering that, the buildings go up so much more quickly than you can imagine. For a while, the flames dance in your eyes as it comes closer towards you. What do you do, caught between fire making its way down the street, slowly inching towards you, and people that shouldn't be taking care of you, angrily shouting behind you? I run towards the fire. Wow. All right, uh, Uriel, there is a child running towards you. A hundred eyes pop open. Does he see that? Does he? I certainly get a spike on my EMF detector. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that's the first glimpse of you that I see, is Mm -hmm. the eyes. As it pops open, they see simultaneously so much. Most... 90% of the eyes, 99% of the eyes are staring at the people coming down the alley who are known to be in the process of being judged and will be struck down, but there's only one eye that is staring at at William. What does that eye see? Tears. What, uh, I I like tears. I think it sees something even, I I think it sees something deeper too. Uh, I love tears. I think it sees something deeper too. Uh, Johnny, what do you think that might be? Inside tears? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that answer wasn't as good as Liz's. (laughs) Um, No, it sees, I think, two, it sees a a path and a branch in the path. So I, I don't think that they're quite able to make a judgment. 
mm-hmm. because it, it could it could fall either way. Like this this is this is the branch of the path this night. And this is the first time that this has ever happened to Uriel, seeing that there is more than one option in a inside of a heart. Wow! So you have only judged the guilty before this moment, or have only considered people to be guilty. That is fascinating. And then one of the things that I've noticed in this, seeing branching paths, that is just like when Jonnet's eye opened uh, in the dark game. Tyler's not here, this is about us. <laughs> Tyler is better though. Can we like he pause is. for a minute and agree that Tyler's better? Toe tip, yeah. He's so much better that he couldn't be bothered to come. <laughs> so this is what you got. Dan, that severe man from the portrait earlier, that is, of course, William's father. And I would like you to decide what are the last words that William hears from his father? (laughs) You hired a Foley artist. Hey heroes, it's James. Welcome to the mid-roll. We're going to have a short one this week, but I wanted to take some time and thank our backers on Patreon. Without you, this show would not be possible, especially not our Gen Con live show, because we had to get our performers out to the location, which costs a lot of money. So frankly, we depend on the Patreon for stuff like that. First up, Josh. Thank you. Amy Elder. Thank you very much. Anar Miata Strum. Thank you so much. Paul Zach Zaruski, thank you so much. Autumn Ford, thank you very much. Black Arrow Illustration, thank you. Christine McCoon, thank you very much. Catherine N, thank you. Stephen Huff, thank you. Charlie L-D, thank you. Kristen B.T., thank you so much. Timo Bakar, thank you. Crystal Kirk, thank you very much. Alice Cooper, (laughs) thank you. Griffin Ayers, thank you very much. Robin, thank you so much. Delbert Willich, thank you. And Chet Gray, thank you so much. Thanks again to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Like I said, this network would not be possible without you. If you like what you hear here and you want to hear more incredible shows, head over to patreon.com slash one shot podcast and become one of our supporters. Now with all of that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. I said you would be able to make some buck wild calls here and you don't need to shy away. Well, I suppose it's time for tea. (laughs) The resentment in that voice, I think, is the thing that sticks with you. But with that, I want to dial back on my control of the scene. Please, what happens next, Johnny and Liz? 
You can describe oh, oh, okay. your body and what you're doing with it. <laughs> Dialogue is but one path to storytelling. You just saw two paths. One is dialogue, one is... <laughs> uh, the eyes close again. All of them? No. The one stays open. Uh, Uriel doesn't have a corporeal form in this realm. <clears throat> so William feels a great rush of wind and with it the hot ash and the hot fire whipping up past him and towards his family. Uh, I think William is, as this gust comes through, is unable to move. Um, he's just frozen in place, not sure if it's from fear or, or something else. What do you do next, Uriel? Uriel doesn't do anything. It's the fire that does. I think there is something that happens here that lets William know that their parents were not killed by entirely natural means. Mm -hmm. How does that play out specifically? The, the fire sweeps around through the alley and into individual cones around each person. It's hyper-focused and as if a column of flame is both coming up and coming down on each individual and in a way that fire is should not move and cannot move. And in the process is making this high-pitched whistling sound that almost sounds like a voice. I think their screams start as mortal screams, terrifying in their own way, especially to a child who is already frozen in fear. Also, I have a quick question, Johnny. Uh, you had mentioned that uh, William had chose, chosen to run towards the fire. He heard, obviously, his father's last words, but because he's frozen in fear now, does he see this happen, or does it play out behind him entirely through sound? I think that he can hear it and is maybe able to see vague reflections in uh, windows on, on the shops in front of him. So there's, there's this, because everything is on fire, there's this sort of smoky, obscured quality. So it's basically just his parents look sort of like just silhouettes until the flames devour them. As the flames devour them, it, it starts, like I said, with those horrible mortal screams of someone burning to death. But those screams do not echo alone after time. Something opens, perhaps to a realm that we cannot possibly understand as mortal beings, but their screams are joined by billions more in a horrible chorus of anguish as they are consumed and ground to ashes. And that is the end of our first scene. Liz, I want to know, what was the goal that you chose for yourself? Remember the tears of the innocent. Liz, do you believe that you achieved that goal? Oh, yes. I agree. Johnny, what about you? Beg for mercy. I don't think you hit it. But I didn't get killed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that, we're going to move on to our next scene. What, what is the title of these scenes as you are picking your goal? The time I found you in the water. The time you found me in the water. 
Some of them are pretty simple and straightforward. Inside tears is a bad answer. <laughs> Sorry, we can't continue uh, the podcast because <laughs> I have been killed. Uh, inside tears is jizz. Anyway. <laughs> oh, don't act like you've you never heard that. the explicit say- tag. <laughs> The Star Wars campaign had just all over it. (laughs) They made that a cornerstone of their world building. And I found out recently that might be George Lucas's fault. So, wow. Holy cow. So just so we're clear, the tagline of campaign Skyjacks is inside tears is jizz. (laughs) I'm going to write that down. I'm not willing to commit to that, but do write it down. That's two Z's. Mm. (laughs) It's a thematic link. This is 200 years ago. This is perhaps 20 hours after the stars have fallen. The world is about to enter a new era. To those that know Sphere, from the time that we are telling our story, it would look somewhat unfamiliar to you. The rampaging storm that is the maelstrom which changes the seasons has not yet begun to blow its winds. The mariner does not sail the seas and walk the lands. The church has not risen to power. The Red Feather Syndicate is a long time away from flying the first skyship. But society as we know it, and the nations that once ruled this earth and may have at one time committed terrible crimes in the name of empires, kings, and queens have been struck down by forces unknown. Bright lights that used to live in the sky and light the way for sailors on the sea have fallen down to the earth and struck it with terrible blows causing waves to crash down on cities, causing land to rupture and erupt in places, and carrying with them figures. We join one, and we know a part of this story already, a being rocketed down to the earth and struck the water, sending it all coursing away, standing up unevenly in the crater surrounded by molten rock, thinking only of pain and a desire for something that cannot come, death. Gable, when the water rushes back, what do you do? Wake up. And steam rising off of each wave that hits the body. I think at this point, we see that steam burn your skin, but almost Wolverine style, We can see some of those injuries rapidly healing themselves, especially your nerves, so that they can experience the pain fresh again. It's one of the sovereign's last cruelties. You're tossed around by the currents. How long do you think you're floating free? Gable fell in the middle of the ocean. Mm -hmm. They floated for months. How many times did you drown? Ten. That's pretty good, actually. (laughs) When you think about it, that's great. That's a pretty good drowning. uh... Gable is very good at floating on their back. 
<laughs> Excellent work. Uh, I can't wait for that to be super relevant. I can't wait for us to be like, oh yeah, you've got to swim. It's super dangerous. And Liz to go, ah. Uh-uh. We don't need a boat. I am a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like a raft? <laughs> I want just some flashes from you, Johnny. How do you think Travis survived the fall? The same way he survives everything, you know, smooth talking, fast talking. You, you played a card game with the water, is it? Yeah. Is it a title ah, but how about we make a wager? Play a card game at it. I think that he was able to get in with the right people who could save him when he needed to, and when it seemed like they would not be able to help him anymore and they might die, he got loose. I think this is like close to when Travis is like in his early 20s at this point when when the the stars finally fall. He looks obviously different than than the child who had not yet reached their adolescence that we saw. What does Travis look like now? Uh, I think he looks much closer to the way that sort of everyone knows him, but worse. I think that he looks... He hasn't figured out what to do with his hair. Yeah. Um, so he, he definitely looks younger, but more worn. Definitely more disheveled, more, more tired in a... Um, less from just time, like he sort of looks now, and more from running and actual physical strain. Dan, we are in a town, a settlement uh, that is newly a seaside settlement Mm. uh, because floods from these stars rocketing to the earth and displacing the sea have changed a lot. What does this place look like? Can I ask what the climate is? That's a good question. Um, Does it change? How do you think you want to be dressed, Johnny? How hunky. You know how uh, I think that Travis is dressed the way that Prince Eric is dressed in The Little Mermaid. So this is Florida. (laughs) Oh, oh, so then he's in a Hawaiian shirt and no shoes. (laughs) It is the way Prince Eric is dressed, but it's a Hawaiian version of that shirt. It's the way it was originally conceived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Disney messed that up entirely. In the Hans Christian Andersen version, Prince Eric is in a Hawaiian shirt. Hawaiian shirt. (laughs) Okay, so we've got uh, sort of a a just recently become tropical area. So we've got young palm trees. They haven't reached their maturity, and there's not a lot of old growth yet. But you've got some wonderful uh, new sand drifts that have occurred because of all the weather changes, forming different designs, different layers, different colors, because so much has come up from the ocean, there's way more stuff on this beach than should be. Uh, Probably including maybe bits of coral, bits of dead fish, and other interesting sea creatures that maybe, remember like when those sea serpents came up on shore? They don't belong there. But suddenly they have emerged, and it's just a skeleton, but foreshadowing there's some cool stuff coming. And, And next to these massive leviathans that are rotting on the shores, uh, filling the people of the lands with new nightmares of what terrible things might lurk beneath the waves, we see something else. That's bodies laid out on the shore from the buildings that have been ravaged by the waves. The recovery effort has been going on long, 
It has taken many, many hours, and there are so few people. At this point, they're not even trying to save people or hoping to save people. They're hoping to clear away enough corpses so that they can find areas with fresh water to drink and keep it safe. And Travis, as a young man, I believe you have been enlisted for this effort, which is why we find you on the shore. How invested in this are you? Well, you have to check every body to see what they have on them. (laughs) So I would say I'm pretty invested in at least taking a look. (laughs) So I think that's it. You're looking through these bodies. Gable, how do you wash up on shore? Gable washes up next to a pile of other bodies and a rock. Rock. Let's learn more about this rock. <laughs> Y'all have 30 minutes. Tell me, tell me when. <laughs> Liz, this is a big rock now. This is finna be a, a rock. That's a, yeah, that's a rock. That's it. That's stop, 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 stop. A little bit smaller. Dan's rock is in there yeah. too now. There are two rocks. There's two rocks. It's a rock garden. Um, no, but the reason there's a rock there is because there is a a dog and a litter of puppies that lives under that rock. Ooh. So, Travis, what is it about <laughs> Gable's form or perhaps this family of puppies that catches your eye? The puppies all have watches on them. Did we not mention that the puppies are covered in watches? If a dog wore a watch... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, like a headband. Okay. Oh, oh, that's very cute. Do you remember those watches that were popular, like in yes. the early two thousands, that were rings? Yeah, yeah, they were like so small and so hard to buckle. So you, the battery died immediately. Yeah. Time to get a new battery. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> he could wear it on his tail, and whenever you had to check the time, it would be adorable because he'd be running around in circles. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> um, so I think that honestly, just the the sheer size of this this person, uh, and I, I think that Gable washes up face down. Mm-hmm. So Travis goes over, does the customary pocket check. No clothes. Oh, how's that butt look though? Really? Come on. It'll be canon. It's a really good fucking butt, dude. That's canon! We got it! We got it! As a rule, if you're making up a character, why wouldn't you say they have a great ass? <laughs> the well, broker you- explicitly had a bad ass. That is something that we discovered. Um, okay, well then I'm just going to check out that ass. <laughs> I think legally I'm obligated. <laughs> Travis walks up. It, I, I think it's unusual for the for the bodies to be naked. I think they usually have shreds of clothing um, because they haven't been floating so effortlessly in the water for months. I think that most of them spend less time more as nearby cities are overtaken by water than they get washed up, whereas Gable felt in the middle of the ocean. Uh, so this, this is a curiosity, to be sure. 
So Travis uh, or William walks up and uh, rolls the body over. Gable wakes up and grabs him by the throat. Travis pulls out a gun. (laughs) And Gable dies. I really fucked up. (laughs) And I had Gable dies, so I think I won. Dies. Won the game. Mm, Anyway. Okay, so you've got a gun pointed at you. Gable doesn't know what a gun is. What do you do? They grip harder. Do you not understand? And then what happens immediately after they grip harder, they realize their lungs are full of water and start choking and throwing up and coming into the realization that they have a body. You still holding on or no? No. Like a... (laughs) (laughs) What is the matter with you? You should be dead. All of these people are dead. Why aren't you? And why are you naked? And why don't you have any cash? Who? I can. uh, uh, I I can speak. Oh, we're all very proud. Uh, Gable, Gable clambers up to full upright standing. Leaning against the rock. <laughs> oh, it is a big rock. <laughs> How big are these dogs? <laughs> uh, what are you? What are... Where am I? What do you mean? Where are where? Dan, what's the name of this town? This Just so you know, Japan is taken already. <laughs> so if that's what you were thinking, that's already. Japan. 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 <laughs> that's a real fact about this show. It might Great. be more of an in-bit. <laughs> is so is there any population there. here at all? So I think it has been greatly reduced, but there is clearly some kind of recovery effort. They're pulling bodies out to you know try and go on. So. All right. Well, we'll call it. Uh, we'll call it Gavinport. Gavinport. That's canon now. Gavin we got another town. Port. The, the port of Gavin. Populated almost entirely by people named Gavin. <laughs> we lost a lot of Gavins. King de Graal wishes to see you. So you do know that you're in Gavinport. We're in Gavinport. I think your memory hurts you. Thoughts are jumbled. This is your first time grappling with thoughts in a body. It's as if you were a a baby. You have no memory of anything that's ever happened to you. So you're formulating your ideas about the world in rapid succession. It's like a huge, it's like almost the internet turning on inside of your brain. I think there's a flash. You see some of the sins of Gavin Ward. Ooh. But not enough. Yeah, exactly. You, the, it, it's sort of like trying to remember a dream. 
there's like one or two details that you can focus on for a second, but it slips through your fingers as you grasp for it. Uh, Gable's ignoring Travis and- Good move. Yeah. <laughs> trying to focus and go back into basically their incorporeal form, just spread out. It usually is like basically a cloud of thought and, f- and feeling and fury. But the moment that they try to feel and what keeps them together is hate and desire to give retribution. But what breaks their concentration is one of the puppies licking their ankle. Yeah. That puppy's dead now in canon, though, because like yeah, it's, been a long it's time. almost 200 years later. Uh, uh, licking Gable makes you immortal. <laughs> Uh, and I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that puppy does follow us onto the Uhuru. <laughs> Look for them. I'm into this idea. It's like a lollipop. <laughs> okay, anyway. Its name is Tony. <laughs> this means nothing to me. <laughs> he can hang out with Jane and Pliff. <laughs> All right, which, which one of you? <laughs> we don't have time. We explicitly don't have time. Yeah, we do need to get back to this rock. Yeah. <laughs> so you are snapped out of it. And I think for that time, that, that magic eye effect that is on Gable sometimes, if you look at the mark, like that gets amped up. They blur out a little bit. Answer my question, what are you? I just saved your life. Uh, can we see any homes? You can see ruined buildings. Gable looks at the roofs of the ruined buildings all around them and can only think of the first thing they see. My name is Gable. That didn't answer my question. I said what, not who. Gable walks away. Don't you walk away from me. I'm walking away from you. They're gone. Travis goes to check another body. <laughs> this one's dead. <laughs> Do you ignore this person and keep walking, or is there more between you in this moment? I don't think so. And they're a normal person, a human person. Gable turns back around. Do you think that I'm human? I don't know what I think, which is why I asked. (laughs) Can I pass as human? I don't know. Can you? (laughs) Gable walks away again. (laughs) Probably a good move. Liz, what was your goal for that scene? Threaten a weaker creature. Do you think you accomplished that? I did almost kill him. Yeah, you definitely did. It said weaker creature, though. (laughs) You definitely did. Johnny, what was yours? Contemplate revenge. I think you nailed that. I'll allow it.
suggestion box uh, to the captain's council. Is everyone present and accounted for? Jonnet's taking a nap. Okay, Jonnet's taking a nap, but uh, seems we got Travis and Gable. Uh, I'm taking a nap. Oh, I'll take a nap too. All right. No, 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 no. It's Captain Council time. If you leave me in charge of the Captain's Council, you will not like the ship that you see on the other side of that meeting. I will make changes. I will not hold myself back. What do you what changes do you want to make? Oh, believe you me, they're sexual. Oh. Uh, mm. mm. Yeah. No one likes that. What do, what do you say about extremely casual Friday? How's that no, strike you? No, no thank you. Hard pass. Yeah. Well, that's why no one's going to be napping through this. It's saving for Jonnet, who's a growing boy and needs his rest. True. He's going to be seven feet tall soon. So this one uh, just says, bring back Taco Tuesday. Tuber Tuesday is terrible, and we hate it. Well, we do have a lot of potatoes. But you could make potato tacos. Yeah. Tacos. That's just a lack of imagination, I think. Well, I mean, th- th- that's mostly uh, a bee's department. Yeah. To... Go talk to bee. Well, if anyone wants to talk to the wasp, be my guest. Plus, we've still got Thaco Thursdays, so I don't really see why they're complaining. <laughs> they, I think they just want it on the Tuesday because they like the alliteration. And I understand it's very satisfying to say. Thaco Thursday is also alliterative. Yeah, but it's also, it sounds terrible. <laughs> I love a But thaco. it tastes delicious. It's so delicious. With the cheese, and sometimes if you twice bake two sides of the thaco, you can make a super thaco. It's delicious. I'm mostly concerned about Thaco Thursday following immediately after Waco Wednesday. Well, yeah. What what else would what else would be on Wednesday? What else would go there? I I mean, okay, okay, fine. We can keep Waco Wednesday and and Thaco Thursday, but Faco Friday is right out. It's too much in a row. No, no. French fry tacos. Oh my goodness! Why wouldn't you? The The French fries are the taco and the filling. It's a waffle fry taco shell and curly fry filling. What about Saco Saturday? We don't even eat tacos then. We celebrate the character held by mankind, the famous wrestler. As well we should. It's the perfect compliment to Saco Sunday. (laughs) Where we do the same thing. Keep his name both days of the weekend as is written in the ancient legend. Because what you one Saturday is for for mankind and Sunday is for Mick Foley. Praise okay, their names, right? They were the they were the same man. <laughs> yeah, and Cactus Jack Mondays. We don't need Cactus. Yes, Jack. the Trinity. We know the great Trinity of the wrestler. He is three men in one. <laughs> I think it's unreasonable for us to have tacos pretty much every day of the week. That's why we got rid of it on Tuesday. We thought it was too much. It's too much. What if we just condensed all the tacos to one day a week and, and then what and then what don't eat for six days? No, That's I, that, you want I us say to we starve. also reduce the number of days that we fast in honor of Mick Foley and mankind. Are you speaking? Are you blaspheming in his You're name? You're begging for trouble to befall our ship. Oh, yes, that's right. Show me trouble. I know you got it in you. Is that a reference to him? It's a sexual reference. Uh. <laughs> there is no sex on McFoley's days. Never. 
Spit. We're fine. I, I still I still think too many tacos and Taco Tuesday sounds better than all of the other days that we have dedicated to tacos. May his ire come upon thee, Spit. I swear unto him in his three natures and soon unto you a great smackdown shall be coming on this Monday night. No, it shall be raw on a Monday night and smackdown on a Tuesday. We cut to Monday where Spit is on top of a steel cage. <laughs> he would like that far I think too he would, much. He'd like it too much. Never mind. It's fine. We'll do the tacos on Tuesday, whatever. All right. Problem solved. Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter at, at @campaignpod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. You can find more great gaming shows over at oneshotpodcast.com. Like System Mastery. System Mastery is a delightful stroll through the history of role-playing games. Except the games are terrible and the hosts are real jerks about everything. Join hosts Jeff and John as they explore the weirdest games ever made to talk about what worked, what went wrong, and which Silverhawk was the best. It was Hotwing. You can find their shows at SystemMasteryPodcast.com or through a link on the OneShot website. Finally. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter at Tyler A. Dave, on Mainstage with Second City, or at IO with Devil's Daughter. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matago was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcast, Dilettante Ball. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this production was composed and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find Arnie on Twitter at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. And you can find more of his work at ATPTunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony, spelled C-A-S-E-Y. P-O-N-E-Y, or on his own podcast, Neoscum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter, at Fiona Pup. The world of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists and the card game Illimat, property of Together Studios. The game used in this production is a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system that was created by a talented group of game designers who were fired by a private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. There are no kings. Take flight, heroes. Health to the strangers who've ever been kind, and once for our friends ne'er rise. Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind, who know we can never deny the call of the sky.